The reading this morning will be from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. If you're using the Bible in the pews, it'll be page 1056. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Good morning. It is so good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. It encourages us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. We think back on a lot of good things that's happened in the past seven days. We're thankful for each one of you that took part and prayed and invited and supported the family day. It was a great success last week. We appreciate Jeremy Keff, his leadership of that day. He spent a lot of hours and did a lot of work and we appreciate all that he did uh, to lead that day. We're also thankful for all the generosity and the work that individuals did in the community giveaway day. We're also thankful for those that came and were a part of that day in receiving. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. It was wonderful to be a part of that giving and that receiving and we hope that truly God's love was shown in that. We're thankful for the wonderful Bible class that we've had just a few minutes ago. Uh, Brother Jamie Harper has really uh, challenged us to see the need to break cycles that need to be broken. And then in this hour, uh, in our Bible, in, in our sermon time, we're also going to see some cycles that we need to keep going. And so the challenge is to be overcomers only with God. And then once we do that, to stay with Him. And so we hope that you find your place in God's work in God's family. And if you're stuck, if you're struggling, we want to walk with you. We want to help you. And uh, you can see Jamie, you can see one of us, and we can help point you in the right directions for questions. Uh, there's not anybody here perfect. Any of us that are saved, it's only by the grace of God we've been forgiven and that we are overcomers and, and we want to walk victorious toward the eternal home and we want to take as many people as we can with us. Uh, and, and so if we can help you in any way, we truly want to do that. This next Sunday morning, uh, you can look forward to this. Brother Bill McDonald is going to be speaking next Sunday morning. I'm going to be in a gospel meeting uh, where we lived throughout most of the 90s in Gadsden, Alabama. And so it will be nice to be back there and to visit with some old friends. And I, I would ask you to be prayerful about that gospel meeting. But also, Bill McDonald is a favorite among the... the uh, Summer Faith Series speakers, some of you will know him in that way, but how many of you have connected with him is through the father-daughter or father-son retreats that we go. And, and as a matter of fact, he'll speak next Sunday. And then the next Sunday, many of you will be with him uh, at, there at, at his place there in Hickman County. And he has been very generous to us as a congregation 
of not only opening up his lodge, but what we probably have failed to mention many times is he lets us rent his lodge, but then he comes out and spends the time with us and, and teaches so many devotionals and teaches so many lessons that is just really rich. And so we look forward to the, being blessed by him being here and, uh, and the good that will take place in that day. Today is actually a result, this series, this sermon today is a result of the elders and ministers sitting down and talking about a great concern that we have and the result was that several of the elders said, hey, we want you to preach that as a lesson. And then I was just thinking of Sunday night and several said, no, we want this to be Sunday morning. We really, really want to work on this as a congregation. If in hearing this, you think that any particular group is being targeted, it's not. This is not a lesson just to the young people although it is a lesson to young people. It's not a lesson just to the parents of young people, although it is a lesson to the parents of young people. It's not just a lesson to the church family, although it's definitely a lesson to the church family. And so I ask you to hear this about what you can do to help us as a church family with this challenge that we have. Definitely a cycle that needs to be broken as well as one that needs to be kept into play. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment about a marathon. Can you imagine someone running most of a marathon? Can you imagine someone running not just the first mile and five miles and 10 miles and 20 miles and even 25 miles? Can you imagine them running 26 miles and seeing the 0.2 miles out in front of them? The finish line is there. And can you imagine them, not because they can't go on, can you imagine them 26 miles, finish line in sight and them say, quit. Done. Not, not, not going to finish it. It was right up there. I'm, I'm done. Do we pass the torch to the next generation in a faithful fashion? Or just about the time we've gotten our kids raised, just about there, we drop the ball? How do we do as a church family? We've had a lot of kids go to college the last few weeks. How many of you that are not the moms and dads, how many of you have followed up with them to see where they're worshiping and encouraged them in their spiritual journey? Several of you have taught them off and on for years. Several of you have spoken to them every week. The time they need spiritual encouragement the most in all of their 18, 19, 20 years of existence, the time they need it the most where are we? What about it, mom and dad? How much follow-up have you done the last few weeks? Have you taken a drive to their college? Have you introduced them to a local congregation, a faithful congregation? Have you introduced them to a, a minister at that congregation that concentrates on students in college? Have you introduced them to the student center that is on campus that's associated with the Church of Christ and have you made sure that they've met and that they know the activities and they know the great work that can be done? And then, of course, if they were here today, we'd also be talking to them. They definitely have responsibility in this. They're 18 years old. They're 19 years old. They're old enough to make wise and godly decisions. But why is it that we don't even like to talk about it. We like to pretend that the problem doesn't exist, that when our children graduate from high school, 
a great many of them never worship God faithfully again. If we had that many of our youth dying from a disease, physically, we would say what it would be, it'd be an epidemic. And we would say, we have to get serious about it. And we must do something now. I don't know all the solutions, but I know that what we read just a few moments ago, Paul writing to Timothy offers a lot of the solutions we'll close with this morning. And right now, if you have your Bibles or if not, read on the screen. I'd like to show you a generation that dropped the ball just by way of introduction and judges the second chapter. And judges the second chapter, we see that the children of Israel had been in Egyptian slavery. Moses led them out. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And then he successfully handed the torch over to Joshua. Joshua led the people. And, and as they went into conquest, they finally had the land of milk and honey. They had the land of rest. And there, he literally successfully was able to pass the torch off to the elders that were beneath him, if you will, in age. And they lived on a little longer. But somewhere, those elders dropped the ball. Notice, notice how it reads here, Judges 2 and 7. So the people, so that's the description of the people. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. And then it tells about Joshua's death and where he was buried. Skip down to verse 10. When all that generation had gathered to their fathers, and that's another way of saying when they died. So when Joshua's generation died and then the generation of the elders died, notice this. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which, the, which he had done for Israel. I would suggest to you that probably those elders of Israel didn't want that to happen. They probably weren't campaigning saying to the younger generation, hey, you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to be a follower of God. Go out and live like the Canaanites live. Go out and find pagan gods. You don't want, they probably weren't campaigning for it, but God calls them out. It says, Moses handed the torch over. Joshua handed the torch over. But somewhere this generation, they were not successful in handing it over. And the next generation were only one link away from unfaithfulness. The next generation didn't know God. Right now, think about your family tree. If you are a faithful Christian... Your grandchildren, for the most part, and great-grandchildren, there's only one link that if it breaks, your family may be, until Jesus comes again, never a part of His family. How important is it that we do not let that link break? That we do, and I understand, we can't live the lives of our children but we do everything we can do to pass the torch to keep that spiritual journey and that faith alive in our families. So let's look at some sobering statistics. Obviously, there's a lot of studies done on this inside and outside the church, and many of the studies are about the same. But let's study one that was done inside the church. Flavel Yeakley has done a study in, in his book. It's entitled, Why They Left. He found out in a study between 1997 and 2007, studying individuals who would have been around 30 or older, studying back to see about 
whether or not they grew up in the church and did they remain faithful in the church. And what he found out was that 58.2% did remain faithful. About 20% went on to another religious affiliation and about 20% did not go anywhere at all. So these that were retained, the retention rate what did it look like among the kinds of congregations? Maybe we'll say, well, there's a certain kind of congregation that they did a much better job retaining those that grew up in the church than others. And that's true. On this next slide, notice we have five categories that the people who completed the survey gave the categories. Okay, and I think that's important. It wasn't that some outsider said, we're going to label this church this way and this church this way. It was the ones that were completing the survey themselves. The middle one there is, is your congregation you grew up in, was it a moderate, middle of the road congregation? The two extremes, top of the chart, uh, a more, the most liberal progressive, or the, the more, much more conservative, or the middle of that, just a little more liberal, or a little more conservative. Notice how the two extremes retention rate is so much less. Their retention rate is only 40%. And then in the middle there is around 55 to 58%. And then, I, well, I say the middle, I'm the middle of the extremes. And then the middle, the one category that is the middle, the middle of the road, they did have a much higher than the other extremes. 62% of the youth that grew up in their congregation made that transition faithfully into their 20s remaining faithful to God. Now, where did these individuals go? I'll just throw this out for point of interest. It's not maybe quite as important uh, for, for what we're doing here, but notice here in this, this next slide, we see that where they went was that, well, I skipped a slide on you. Um, Joshua 1 and 7. Let, let's look at this in Joshua 1 and 7, the, the importance of staying in the middle of the road. Listen, brethren, we do not do any good when we boast of the fact that we're far to the right, or we boast of the fact that we're far to the left. Going back to Joshua again, in Joshua the first chapter in verse seven, remember God told Joshua three times as he was beginning to be a leader, be strong and courageous. And this time he said that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses by servant commanded you. Do not turn from it, talking about turning from the law that God gave, to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. Now on this next slide, we see where the individuals did go that, that were on the extremes, if you will. Those that were part of the more liberal, they labeled themselves that way. Notice three-fourths of them went on to, the, now this is the ones that left. This isn't the total number. This is the total number of the ones that left. Three-fourths of them went on to another religious for affiliation and a quarter didn't go anywhere at all. Notice the very bottom one. Those that were much more conservative, it was the flip opposite. One quarter of them went to another re religious affiliation and three-fourths of them didn't go to church at all. And then when you work up the middle, it's the same way. Those that were a little more liberal, we see that two-thirds of them went to other religious affiliations, one-third went nowhere, and then come back up from the bottom. Those that were a little more conservative, the opposite. One-third of them went to religious affiliations, and two-thirds of them went nowhere at all. And those in the middle that came from what they described as a moderate, a middle-of-the-road congregation, 47% of them went to another religious group, and we see there that 52% of them did not go anywhere at all. So the question though that we must answer is what is it that affected the retention rate? The congregations that did have a much higher retention rate, what is it that he found that were common characteristics of those congregations? Number one, we found that there was a very strong emphasis on the youth 
ministry there. Now, he even noted in the book, don't confuse that just with the fact that there has to be a youth minister. Several of the congregations were small congregations that did not have a full-time youth minister. The emphasis was not just on a youth minister. It was upon a congregation that valued their youth, that had strong classes for their youth, that, that had works and activities for their youth to be involved in in their spiritual journey. Congregations that did not have that did not have nearly as high retention rate. The second one that Yeekley said that was really interesting, which by the way, on that slide there, I'd like for you to notice, these are some things that I just added from other research uh, that I'd done. Those uh, six comments there are just from other research. The Bible teaching is so important, but we've got to couple that with training. We have to make it real for the kids. How does that teaching live out in day-to-day life? We have to give them experiences and opportunities for where they are on their spiritual journey to serve God. And we must give them role models. A youth, as well as any adult, needs seven relationships within the church family. If they are going to remain faithful, they need to have people that they know that are faithful Christians that they can lean on, that they can say, hey, can we talk? That is why it's so important. And we don't have time to delve into it right now, although it'd be a great discussion. But, uh, you know, right now, Philip has created uh, a model, if you will, where now every age from six through 12 has four adults in addition to him that works with that age group. And that's one of the blessings that is going to be a part of that is is now all we have to do is add a couple more adults in the lives of these kids, which will be very easy to do in this congregation. We will have every child that is faithful throughout their high school years growing up in this congregation, they will easily have seven relationships with seven adults. And that is so vital for them to be able to transition into adulthood faithfully. And then also, uh, peers and, and, and their peer uh, relationships in the church family are also very important. Notice the second thing. We're talking about things that influence the retention rate in a positive way. Number two, and, and let me just go ahead and say what, what Flavel said in his book. He was so surprised with this. He said, I knew what we were going to find was that there would be a huge difference in the high school classes. He said, I knew we were going to find a certain method of teaching that those that retained a lot did, and maybe those that didn't did not use this method, or maybe there was something about their classes. And he said, to our surprise, we couldn't find anything that was in common with those that were falling away or those that were being kept, churches with higher low rates based upon that. But he said, what we did find, we did not expect to find. The difference was in the adult classes. The stronger the adult classes the more the youth were retained faithful throughout the transition of college and into their 20s. Let me give you just a parallel thought with that. In other words, what do we do with that thought? I'm not speaking for Bud Lambert, but I know his rule of thumb. I don't know how often or if ever he makes exceptions, but I know his rule of thumb. If you take a child and say, Bud, I'd like for you to see my child, as a rule of thumb, he's going to say, no, but I will see you as a parent. And if you want to bring your child, you can. And the reason you say, Bud, why why don't you see children? And he says, I could work for 50 minutes a week with your child and accomplish very little, but I can work with you and teach you what to do with your child and you live with them 24-7 and look at all the good you can do with this child. Listen, the church cannot successfully do the parent's job of raising spiritually, vibrantly strong adults. 
through their teenage years and into adulthood. Listen, we're in a partnership. The way God designed it, the church is important, but the home is important. And if we want a perfect model, we can't say, oh, forget about the home, let's just worry about the church. We need each other. We're a part of each other if things are done the way they should be done. And so how awesome is it whenever you can say, you know what, we're going to have the strongest Bible classes we can have with the teens, but we're also going to have the strongest Bible classes we can have with the adults because now we're reaching the parents and the parents are being prodded on, if you will. And I mean that in the best of way. They're being prodded on to say, I want to learn the Word of God. I want to live the Word of God. I want to go home and talk to my kids about the Word of God. And when we have done that as a church family, we've done one of the greatest things we could do to affect the retention rate of children growing up in those families. Notice the third thing, and I'm not going to stay on this one long, not because it's not important, but because we mentioned this two weeks ago. Also, another huge factor was whether or not both parents were faithful in attendance and committed to an assignment of a ministry. And what they found out in studying the retention rate, when parents, both parents, attended all services and were committed to at least one assignment in an ongoing ministry, in other words, now the child knows, hey, in my family, we live the Christian life. It's not just we go to church, we live it. And it's not the church is up there, we're a part of ministry. My mom or my dad, we do ministry together. And the result is 80% of those kids remain faithful all the way through. But now when only one parent is the description of that, 50% remain faithful. And um, when, when uh, neither parent fits that description, but kids are still here, 25% of them remain faithful. Now, I'd like to pause here for just a moment because I don't want anybody to feel like, okay, it's hopeless. Please don't feel that way because here's, here's what's awesome. We do the very best we can do and God has created within the church family a wonderful support system that Timothy in the scriptures that we just read about, Timothy is a perfect example of this. As far as we know, his father was never a spiritual support to him. But yet what we find out in reading in Acts the 16th chapter was that he had a church that surrounded him and they boasted of what a great young man he was. And then we find out that, that the apostle Paul comes along and invests in his life in a rich way and, and literally calls him in the text we just read, verse two, he calls him, first Timothy one and two, he calls him my beloved son. Notice he didn't even say my beloved like a son. He called him my beloved son because Paul had stepped up and become that example. Church, do you hear what I'm saying? You're needed in the lives of teenagers. Teenagers need spiritual grandparents that check on them regularly and care about them and never give up on them. They need sometimes even spiritual moms and dads that really pray fervently for them and get involved in their lives. And God has blessed us with a lot of teens and he's blessed us with a lot who aren't teens. And so the opportunity is here and the resources are here. We've just got to decide, are we gonna take status quo Obviously, we wouldn't do this. But what if we took, what if we took all of our high schoolers right now and we lined them up here in the front 
And we say, count it off. Well, here's 10. Which four of these do you not want to be faithful? Here's 10 more. Which four of these do you want to lose? Here's 10 more. Which, which four of these? Just count it off. You're not going to spend eternity with them. It breaks our heart. And we'd say, don't talk like that. We've got to do something. We, we've got to quit pretending it's not real. And we've got to decide, are we going to do something? And if we do something, it's not just a model. It's one person at a time. It's you finding one person that you can get involved in their life and stay with them. And I hope you'll do that. As we think about the challenge in all this, there's, there's so many other things that could and should be said about the studies and all. But the truth is, it comes down to this. There is a truth that God has given us. And I'd like for us to close this lesson by looking at the passages and we'll have them up on the screen. But if not, or if you have your Bible open, I want you to think about out of all the research, because sometimes we get intrigued by research. But listen, research can be skewed, but the word of God is true. So we look in and we say, what are we going to do? God gives us the answers. And I really believe, I really believe that the text we're about to study is gives us rich, genuine powerful, productive answers if we're willing to put them into place. Number one, I believe that what we learn from Timothy, and by the way, Timothy wasn't a teenager when this was being written, but the reason I, I love to study this is because when Paul first met Timothy, he probably was a teenager. And so he's, he's joining in that first missionary journey. Paul literally walked with this man through those years of transition. Paul walked with him from being a young man to, to or being really uh, maybe an older boy, if you will, but, but definitely into being a young man and to maturing in his faith. What a wonderful example for us. So number one, we've got to decide, are we willing to build genuine relationships? Now, this can be parent-child relationships. This can be grandparent-grandchild relationships. This also must, as a church family, it must involve more than just their physical family. Are you willing to get involved in some teenager's life and build a genuine relationship. If you're a teacher, I want to beg you to see yourself as more than a teacher. You need to get involved in the life and build a relationship that, so you can continually encourage the young man or the young woman. Notice again there in 2 Timothy 1 and 2, 2 Timothy 1 and 2, Notice there how Paul is the writer. He's apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of the life which is Christ Jesus. Who's he writing to? Timothy, a beloved son. And then he writes to him about grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how that relationship was real. When you go back and read Acts the 16th chapter and verse 2, it was the church family that was promoting Timothy as such a fine young man. That relationship was real. In Acts the 16th chapter and verse 3, when you think about this scenario, this is one of the, the phrases that I love in the scriptures. It said, see, the, the church family was saying, Paul, you ought, to, you ought to consider this young man. And verse 3 said, he wanted him to go on the mission trip. Wanted. If you have your Bible open, you can glance down to verse 3 and verse 4. There are 1 Timothy 1. And do you see other things about this genuine relationship? It also says that he remembered him in his prayers. And he talks about the tears that Paul shed for him. 
and he talked about the desire that he had to see him. How many of you, ladies, how, how many of you have written a college-age child lately that's not your flesh and blood and told them how you think of them and their faith and you pray for them often and you really desire to see them? Maybe sometime you could go by their college on a Sunday and stop and worship with them and have lunch. I wonder if any of us mirror what Paul did for Timothy. I wonder how many men here, that's not your flesh and blood, but, but you have said to a college student, hey, I remember you and I pray for you. I shed tears for you sometime. I, I desire to see you. I count you like a son. Listen, it may be that we lose the number we lose because the relationship is not genuine. God has truly designed for us to be family, for us to care about where each other spends eternity, to care about each other's life. And hopefully it would go without even being said that parents and grandparents would do that. That you wouldn't just care about whether or not the laundry is done or have they changed their sheets in their apartment in the last month, but hopefully you'd care about where they are right now. Are they still in bed? Did they even think about setting an alarm? And where were they last night? In 2 Timothy 1 and 5, in 2 Timothy 1 and 5, we see a genuine faith. When I call to remembrance, this is what Paul said to him, I call to remembrance the genuine faith, notice where it is, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that it's in you also. Notice how important it is that our young people be converted, not be religious only. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing religion. God's the one that designed religion. Good religion is wonderful. But listen, it's not enough to just say, I occasionally go to church. What does God want us to be? God wants us to be genuine in our faith. In other words, He expects us to be converted, to have a faith that is within us. Studies reveal that of those uh, roughly 50% kids that, that leave, and don't ever come back. Keep in mind what I'm saying there. They don't leave and plant their wild oats, as some people say, and then they come back later. 50% don't ever come back. More, more than 50% leave, but sometime in their 20s, some of them come back. And so we end up, by the end of their 20s, having 50%. That means 50% go out and sow their wild oats and never come back. When we consider... Studies reveal that at 16 years of age, a certain percentage of those individuals that leave have already emotionally, which would also translate into spiritually, have already checked out. They only come the last two years to church because it's what their parents expect of them. You see, the reality was they got their license 
and they drove right out of a relationship with God. They started going on Friday nights and doing on Saturdays what made them feel real guilty on Sundays. So the way they dealt with it was a disconnect. I can't wait to leave to go to college because I won't ever have to do this again. The point is, a lot of them that it appears that we lose them at 19, we lost them at 16 because they were not converted. We've got to be serious in our faith, parents and grandparents. It's hard to ask children to live a faith that they have never seen. What do they see in your house? Do they see genuine faith or not? It's hard for a child to, to live something that's never been demonstrated before them. Now, as we're talking about this genuine faith, I'd like to just throw out one more statistic for you that is sobering. Of all kids this fall that went to a public university, a state university, 85% of them will never go to church. I'm not talking about, let me rephrase it, I'm talking about kids that grew up Kids that grew up all their life in the Church of Christ go to a public university, 85% will never go to church. The only way we get back up to 50% is that a portion of them will come back sometime in their 20s. This morning, we've had kids that have been gone to college for a few weeks. If you're a parent, and you haven't addressed the topic of where they are on Sunday or Wednesday, I challenge you to do what you need to do. And I know attending church alone is not the measure of faith, and maybe it's too late if you're just now starting to talk about it. So maybe we ought to say if you've got a seventh grader and an eighth grader and a ninth grader, what are you going to do to make sure that before they're age 16 that they are committed to God and that they have their own faith and that they're going to do what God's will is no matter who's around them or what's taking place? That's our challenge. That's our challenge. So when we look at Paul talking to Timothy we see that why Timothy was able to make it, even though he didn't have a faithful father, we see why he was able to make it was that he had a genuine relationship with so many others inside the church. We also see that he had genuine faith. It was a faith that was in him. But then also, I'd like for you to see a third thing, and that is the genuine service. Notice in 2 Timothy 1 and 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The word stir there is the idea of kindle. It's the idea of to put on fire. It's the idea to be hot. And so Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to get hot in your service for God. We've all seen a basketball player get hot on the floor and just rip several threes in a row, and you say he's hot. The question is, do we have young people that are hot hot in their service to God. First Peter 4 and 10, God's given every one of our young people a spiritual gift. 
And the question is, are we using it in God's service? We need to make sure that we recognize that our youth are not the church of tomorrow. They are to be the church of today. They should be actively serving in God's kingdom today. And then finally, I'd like for you to notice in 7 and 8, in 2 Timothy 7 and 8, we see genuine courage. Notice as he says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear because fear paralyzes us. But notice, not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And then in the following verse, he talks about the, the suffering that Paul's going to do. And notice he says, and later on he says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. What a powerful statement. Timothy, I know you're a young man. And I know I'm waiting to die because of my faith. I'm urging you, will you be courageous enough to not give in? And would you be willing to die for your faith also? I want you to suffer for the cause of Christ. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Have God's love. Have God's power in your life. And if your hope is, well, we'll just create some kind of model here and we'll just figure out something that, that it'll just take care of itself. We're not making products here. We're not in assembly line. We're talking about real relationships that have to be grown. They have to be developed. They have to be nurtured. David Kinnaman is a man who has written a lot about this topic also. He's written a book entitled, You Lost Me. And I'm talking about making disciples. He said these words, not rooted in mass production paradigms, can't take cues from assembly line doing everything possible to streamline the manufacture of shiny new Jesus followers, fresh from the factory floor. But disciples cannot be mass produced. Disciples are handmade, one relationship at a time. I hope that we care for every soul that's here. And I hope we recognize how important it is for the time that our kids are graduating from high school is the time that they need us the most. They need somebody that's going to go with them to school and help them find a church home that's going to invest in the thing that is the most important in their life. Two summers ago, we were at Chisel. We had a, close to 20 young men there. We sat in a a Church of Christ Community Center on a state university. We got there, I introduced to the young men where they were, and I said, who here knows what a, what a Christian, I think I said community center, what a Christian center is on a college campus? And no hands went up. I said, out of you 20 guys, how many of you have ever heard of it? And remember, these are, a lot of these are high school guys. I said, how many of you ever heard of it? No hand went up. I said, you're kidding. You do not know that when you go to college, the first thing you need to look for is a Christian student center where you can have support and you can have weekly devotionals and you can build godly relationships. Right now, if we went around this room, I know some of you, you went to state schools and you came out stronger than when you went and you will talk about all of your years in that Christian student center and the difference it made in your life. My heart was broken. 
We had a long talk that night about guys, you're going to go through a transition and you've got to find the resources that are available for you to do so faithfully. Listen, parents. Listen, church. We're older. We should be the one leading the way, saying, let me show you this. Let me introduce you to this. Instead of, oh, you're going to school, and I'm not going to ask you about church because I know that you're not going, so I'm just going to put my head in the sand, and every time you come back home, I'm going to pretend like you've been going to church the whole time. When something's deadly, perhaps the best advice we could give is don't ignore it. And we've got something deadly going on in the kingdom today. And it's turning 19 years old. And I'd encourage us not to ignore it. This morning, I hope that we all are convicted enough to do something. Because over the last four years, we've had close to 80 graduates. I wonder if we had a way of knowing right now, if it just popped on the screen, all 80 of those names and whether or not they were worshiping this morning. I wonder what the answer would be. And I wonder if we care. We're not talking statistics. We're talking the young men and young women that we helped raise, that we love. And I hope we'll do something about it. This morning, before we help others, we need to help ourselves. What's your relationship with God? If you're not a child of God and as a believer you're willing to come back to Him and to confess His Son and be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've been a part of His family and you've left Him and you want to come back. The only hope any of us have is by God's grace. And this morning, if there's anything that we can do to help you reach out to the grace of God, we'd love to do that. To all of our youth, we'd urge you, don't play. Don't play Christianity. Because playing Christianity is playing on Satan's playground. And you play with Satan and he always wins. This morning, let's leave here real, genuine, faithful. If there's anything we